Did you hear the story of how this came to be? That's what God said to me as I looked out at the new world before me. She said, I watched your world and I saw the fear and all I wanted to do was wipe up the tears and sweep up my creation into my warm embrace. But I knew I couldn't because you needed to be involved. So I sat, I took a moment of quiet and I dreamt and I remembered. I remembered what I had shown others before you, what I had shown John and countless others who wanted something more, who had been inspired to hope that they could change the world. And I remembered what I had asked of my disciples, a world where love and joy are forever present. And that is what this is, what you helped me to create. Her words made me look out more deeply at the new world I stood in. And that's when I saw it. Love is everywhere. It is brighter than the sun, evident in every little thing. For the first time ever, I truly see the Almighty in each person. I see, and I see that they see it too. Each sees the other's worth and loves with full hearts. God herself, the true love is with us and there's no way to miss it. In some ways, this new world is completely simple. It is just filled with love. It is impossible to feel lonely. Tears can be wept, but comfort is always present. No one feels that they are not good enough because there are no expectations. Rather, everyone sees both their own worth and the worth of another. We truly, as Jesus asked us to, love ourselves and each other. And this love is active. Those actions are present on the walls of the new world. Revelation told us that the foundations of the new world would be made of jewels. And they are, but not as you imagine. These jewels are those things we hold most precious. So across the city as I walk, I feel and see its foundations of justice, peace, kindness, truth, joy, and gentleness. I feel fortunate to be here, to be in the midst of the greatest love ever seen, but know and rejoice in the fact that I am no more fortunate than my neighbor. We sit together on the ground that permeates love with the opportunity to do anything and everything but I feel no pressure to do more than sit under a glorious oak and enjoy the cool air and look at the beautiful world. Every day I feel calm in the fact that 
I am enough. And I remember. I remember that once I did not feel enough. The people around me were hungry, were thirsty, or had no shelter. That we all in some ways lived in fear. Fear of losing, fear of each other, fear of killing the planet that homed us. Fear that we'd be forgotten, ignored, or killed. That my friends felt judgment and suffered because of their gender identities, race, and sexuality. That those who proclaimed to love and to know God hated others, hurt and abused them. That we had to hope for a brighter future, but were too scared to believe it would happen. But then I opened my eyes again. And I remember when I first saw the new world and thought, this can't be right. But God held my hand and I took a closer look and wept with joy. For all those who said I was idealistic were wrong. For the idealism of my past has become the realism of now. Good morning everyone. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Ruth. I live in Finsbury Park and I've been coming to St Luke's for about five years. I sometimes lead the prayers and help Jean, Norman and Sam in the garden. I work as a speech and language therapist with children and young people with communication and or eating and drinking difficulties. Today I'll be telling you all a message from the future, from the imagined voice of one of the children that I work with. We'll call him Ali. When I was little, my family had a tough time. My dad was violent towards my mum and she was afraid for our lives. One day she managed to escape and take us to a refuge. The people there were kind to us and managed to find us somewhere to stay. This was supposed to be temporary, but we ended up living in one room for eight years, me, my mum and my older sister. This was really hard for all sorts of reasons. I am autistic and have a learning disability. I didn't understand that I shouldn't go near the cooker or why I couldn't go to school when coronavirus was happening or that my sister needed somewhere quiet to do her homework. I couldn't explain that I was frustrated, so I lashed out. My mum called the council every week to ask where we were on the waiting list for rehousing, but every time she called, she couldn't get through. And when she did finally speak to someone, they couldn't find the details of the case. There were just too many people in our borough who needed a home. But then things started changing. With people's shifting working patterns, companies started to realise that they didn't need to rent huge office blocks when most of their staff were able to work from home. The government provided incentives to people who owned empty properties to convert them into sustainable low-cost housing for people in need. Young people who had missed out on opportunities due to the crash in the economy and the newly and long-term unemployed were given on-the-job training to help convert the buildings and furnish them. They used their lived experience to set up neighbourhood hubs and activities 
to help the former office blocks become welcoming places to live and to build a community. Empty rooftops and atria were turned into communal gardens where people started to grow their own food. Younger residents were linked up with older ones for mutual support and to connect people within and across diverse cultural backgrounds. I didn't see my dad for a long, long time. I didn't understand why, but I knew he made my mum sad and my sister angry when I said his name. In 2026, we moved into one of the new flats. I had my own room and so did my sister and we had a safe, beautiful shared garden to play in and 24-hour access to a soft playroom with sensory toys and objects that helped me to relax. I had regular sessions with a support worker after school, so my mum was able to go out to work and have some time for herself as well. Around the same time, and with the help of friends, counselling and a perpetrator's programme, my dad acknowledged the terrible pain he inflicted on our family and gradually changed his attitude and his behaviour towards women. He is now helping others with similar issues to see how they can change too. Now it's 2050 and I'm 38 years old. I'm living in the community where I grew up, in a flat where I share daily life with friends and support workers. I visit my mum every week for tea and our favourite sweets and sometimes my dad and I meet in the park to ride our bikes. I love spending time with my sister and my nieces and nephews. They are almost as good at dancing as me.